0: Anyone else hate uh, waiting? (laughs) Waiting in line. Waiting for that person in your house who always seems to be the last one to get ready. So you try to occupy yourself by pacing, doing chores, playing that game on your phone once again. Uh, Waiting for a person to show up, you know, that you're waiting for. Oh, how about this one? This This is a beautiful beautiful concept that some twisted person came up with waiting rooms like let's put us in a room just to do nothing but wait right (laughs) that's that's a great concept right waiting 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 we hate waiting right waiting disrupts just our desire to control and our desire to predict right but is waiting all bad is there a good kind of waiting. What if there are lessons we learn by waiting that we just won't learn any other way? What if waiting can produce better results, better character, better satisfaction, more growth in our lives than just instant gratification? Because we know ourselves. We are a I want what I want, and I want it now kind of people, right? I want what I want, and I want it now. So is it no wonder that God in his wisdom says, oh yeah, well I'm going to teach you some things that you will only learn when you do it through waiting. And so we have to wait. You know there's a phrase used several times in the Bible. My soul waits for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. Some of you are like, I wish I could just erase that out of my theology, right? Like do we really have to wait? And apparently it is good for our souls to wait on God. He does something in the waiting. God doesn't make us wait because he gets some sort of twisted joy out of making us, you know, wait. And he's he sees us being tormented by, you know, impatience and longing. But in his loving wisdom, he makes us wait as one of his ways to accomplish his work in us. To accomplish what's best for us. God works in us in our waiting, God works on us in our waiting to increase our trust in him to disrupt our perceived sense of control when we're in a place of waiting it triggers the reminder that we are literally daily at the mercy of God at the mercy of God's will in the waiting if we listen carefully we might hear God whisper something like this will you stop trying to wholly rest on yourself and instead wholly trust me Waiting is one of the experiences that God uses to shape us, to make us humble, to help us surrender to control, to help us to trust in Him, the one who has ultimate control. And it's amazing because we might find ourselves thinking that we're patient people until we have to wait. We might find ourselves thinking we're trusting people, especially trusting God, until we have to wait. And so as we continue in our current series, Soul Care, today we're looking at this concept of the waiting soul. How does God use a time of waiting to enrich, nourish, cultivate a healthy soul in the eyes of the Lord? <clears throat> the big idea that I want you guys to wrap around your mind today is this: God is loving, merciful, forgiving, and faithful. Waiting on Him with hope is good for our souls. I want to read that again. God is loving. He's merciful. He's forgiving. He's faithful. Waiting on Him with hope is good. For our souls, I invite you right now to open up your Bibles to the book of Psalms 130. Look at Psalm 130. As we've been going through this series, Soul Care, we've been turning to the Psalms. The Psalms are awesome, aren't they? One of the things I love about the Psalms is that God, under the inspiration of His Holy Spirit, moved human writers to pen these words, right? And then He collected them and put them together for our benefit, for His glory, And the the thing about the Psalms that are so awesome is that God did not strip the human experience out of them. In fact, it almost feels like he dialed up the human experience. Pain, anxiety, fear, frustration, peace, joy, celebration. It's it's all there in the Psalms. And so we see that a, a healthy soul experiences all these things. But in the end, when the dust settles, the soul cares all about trusting the one who made our souls, who designed our souls, who alone feeds our souls. So today we get to see the benefit of the waiting soul in our soul care. Let's look at Psalm 130. We'll pray. We'll jump in. Psalm 130 says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. There it is. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. Father, today as we come hungry to learn, to grow, to not just um, hear from you, but to continue to be shaped to be like you through the power of your Holy Spirit, we come to this text. And God, we confess with one voice, with one heart, we confess we are not patient people. We don't like to wait. Lord, I confess before my brothers and sisters in Christ online, right here in this room, I am an impatient person. I don't like to wait. (laughs) But Lord, I also confess, we also confess that sometimes you do your best work when we're waiting and trusting so God, help us to see what we need to see today. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts. Let us receive, let us believe, let us apply what you have for us. In Jesus' name. We all said. We're not exactly sure who God used to write this psalm. Some like to attribute it to David, King David. Um, many of the psalms are from David, but this one we don't know. And so here's this individual, the psalmist that God uses, and who is very familiar with waiting. And I want to highlight four experiences the psalmist has in his waiting four experiences the psalmist has in this waiting and the first one we see is desperation look at verse one out of the depths i cry to you O lord out of the depths is an expression of great distress in hebrew writing in hebrew thinking the depths uh, paint the picture of being overwhelmed by water to the point that you're being drowned by despair isn't that gorgeous right so out of the depths this this writer's in deep despair and he cries to the lord He knows that God's his only source of hope, of redemption, of help. And so we know that this writer is crying out to God from this deep place, this low place, emotionally. But I want to back up and zoom out a little bit because I think there's more here that we might not see at first glance. Because I don't think he's only low emotionally. I think he's coming from a low place literally as he's preparing to come to God and worship. And so if you look at Psalm 130, if you look in your Bibles, whether it's electronic or whether it's there in, in, in your, your Bible, underneath Psalm 130 are these little words that say a song of ascent, right? A song of ascent. And some of you are like, I don't know what that means. What's an ascent? Like, do like you light a candle? It's a scent? Like, what is this, right? Well, here's, here's what you have to understand. So here you have faithful Jewish people that for them, going to the Jewish temple in Jerusalem was the high holy place of worship, the place of God's spirit. That's where God dwelt. And so they would regularly go to the temple to worship, especially on the high holy Jewish holidays. So Pentecost, right? Passover, uh, the feast of uh, the tabernacles, the tents. And so they would Pilgrimage from wherever they lived to Jerusalem at least three times a year, oftentimes, to go worship God. And part of that journey was that they had to go uphill. They had to ascend a hill. So when you look at a map, for example, if a person lived, let's say, like by the Sea of Galilee, up there in the top part of this picture, this is a map of the kind of course that they would take to go worship. It makes our little walk or drive or bicycle ride to church look like nothing, Right? And so they would hike, walk, ride, mule, cart, whatever it was, all this way. But if you look at the topography, they would drop down and go through, it's called the road to Jericho. So they would leave their home and then descend to Jericho and then have to hike out of Jericho to get up to Jerusalem, just to put some perspective on that. Uh, Jericho, as you can see, let's go back to that map. Jericho is down by the Dead Sea. Well, the Dead Sea, as we know, is the lowest place on earth. Well, what's the closest city to the Dead Sea in the biblical times? It's Jericho. So Jericho historically has been, and still is to this day, the city, the, the inhabited city that's at the lowest place of earth, 850 feet below sea level is where Jericho is. So to go the Jericho Road, you had to go down to this low place, and then Jerusalem the temple in Jerusalem was at 2,500 feet above sea level so you were at this 33 to 3,400 hike incline uphill talk about dedicated going to church right some of us are like no 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 let me just stay home and watch it online please okay they would hike and this is a picture of the road this this is an actual section of the Jericho road that they would travel how would you like that some of you if you're, hopefully all of you are reading in the Bible reading plan we have those Bible reading plan devotionals that's taking us through the New Testament in a year this week if you were in that you saw the moment where Jesus is a teenager they all went to, to Jerusalem to, to worship and then when Mary and Joseph and the rest of the caravan went down the hill Jesus stayed in Jerusalem right this puts a whole another meaning on it from a parent's perspective right Jesus stayed in Jerusalem Mary and Joseph traveled a day this, this walk up and down the hill by the way is 18 miles would take you a day or two to get up or down Okay? So Mary and Joseph went all the way down the hill before they went, where's Jesus? And realized Jesus was back up the hill. I would not want to be Jesus at that moment, okay? (laughs) When Mary and Joseph showed up, because then it took them another three days to find him. And then, of course, he reminded them who he was as God, right? I'm in my father's house. But all that to say, this psalm, is a psalm of ascent. When you look in your Bible, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, all those are songs of ascent, which means these are the songs that they would sing as they were hiking up the hill. This was their hymn book, if you will, as they ascended a high, holy place to worship the Lord. Songs of ascent. And so he's coming from deep places, despair, you know, emotionally, but also he's literally coming from a low place to a high place to worship God. And I think as we just wrap our minds around that very I mean, look, we're only one verse in. And look at all that God has for us. Because all of us have, have been, are right now, or will be in deep places of despair. Where you, where you feel like you are on, a, on an island by yourself, and you've got one flare in the gun, Right? You've got one little red bar on your phone. That's all you got. Despair. And when we're there, what do we do? We've got to do what this psalmist did. He cried out to God. He didn't cry out to a person. He didn't go to the local bookstore to look for a self-help book. He didn't didn't get online to watch YouTube videos about how to make yourself a better person, how to have your best life now, blah, blah, blah. I cry out to the Lord. I cry out to the Lord. I cry out to the Lord from deep places. We've got to do the same thing. When things aren't going right, like we should always be crying out to the Lord, right? But especially we're in those deep places, those difficult places, we cry out to the Lord. And what we do, we make our own journey of ascent. Praise God that we don't have to hike a mountain, some brick building thinking that God's there, right? God's here. He's present. He's always here. And he lives in the believer. But we still have to make this ascent to to sky our eyes and our heart upward to ascend to the Lord. And to think about him, Lord, To you I come in this deep place. So we see he's coming from a place of desperation. Then he transitions to a place of confession. First he experiences desperation. Now he's experiencing confession. Why? Look at verse two and three. He says, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my plea for what's the word? Mercy. What? What's happening here? He says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And so we don't know what the psalmist was going through emotionally and all the difficulties in his life, but one thing we do know is he laser-focused on the thing that grieved him most, the thing that broke his heart the most, his own sinfulness. He's crying out to God for mercy. That's a self-indictment there. Why would he need God's mercy? Because he knows, as he says... If God were to mark iniquities, meaning if God were to record sins, if God truly had a library in heaven where all of us had our own file, like let's go beyond book, like we we all had our own personalized hard drive in heaven, that God just kept uploading every sinful thought, every sinful word that came out of our mouth, every sinful action that we carried out, and on top of that God tells us in this word to know the good and to not do it is a sin so every time God gave us the right thing to do and we chose not to do it we have all these compounded ways that we can sin if God were to mark record capture all our sins all our iniquities who could stand who could possibly stand before God and, and make the classic mistake that if God were to say why should I let you into heaven they go well because I'm a good person oh serious what a lie what, what an arrogant statement to say I'm a good person see when we do that what we're doing is we're making the mistake of comparing ourselves to other people right we go oh well well, I'm a good person compared to that person the people making the headlines for these horrific things God's going your eyes are on the wrong spot I'm not going to compare you to other people I don't grade on a curve I'm going to compare you to anyone know the answer himself himself Romans 3.23 says all have sinned all have fallen short of the glory of God if God were to record our sins, who would stand? Nobody. Nobody gets into heaven because they're a good person. Nobody gets into heaven because of good works, earning God's favor, working off the bad in our life. Now we know why the psalmist comes from deep places. I cry out from the depths of my soul, and of all the things that are burdening my heart, the one that burdens it the most is my sinfulness because God if you kept track of iniquity who could stand nobody and so God I beg for mercy he's confessing this is a song of confession so give us imagery of this this person ascending a hill to go to worship and he's doing business with God on the way (laughs) God I need I need your mercy the echoes of what I've said The memories of what I've done are haunting me. Listen to my cry for mercy. We we need to do the same thing. Our our sense of our sinfulness is so important. And what happens is a lot of us have grown dull to that. We've grown insensitive to that. And we've forgotten just how sinful we are. That that when, when given the opportunity to run from God or to God, our nature is to run from God. When given the chance to obey or submit to God, our nature is to want to disobey. And so we have to come to this place of confession like the psalmist did and to put our hope in God's mercy. So look at this journey he's taking in these experiences. He's, he's on a place to go worship. He's in deep places of desperation. He moves to the thing that grieves his heart most, which is his sin. So he goes to confession. Then he starts to think about God's nature of holiness. Oh, crud, I'm doomed but then also God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And he goes from confession to this beautiful moment of declaration. He's declaring something about God. Look at verse four. He says, but, right? Like we just got done seeing this. He said, oh Lord, who should, uh, if you were to mark iniquities, who should stand? We're saying no one. He says, but with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared, that there would be this awe, this reverence of you so he's he's making a declaration that in God there is forgiveness not that there might be forgiveness can be forgiveness but that in God there is forgiveness and then he says what we're focusing on verse 5 I wait for the Lord my soul waits and in his word I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning more than watchman for the morning do you hear the confidence that the psalmist has in God the confidence he has in God's character and provision and promises and what God does he says there is forgiveness and the outcome of the one who knows they're forgiven in God is this fear and this awe and this reverence and so he comes from this posture that there's no way to earn God's attention or favor other than just to come to him and appeal to his mercy and then receive with confidence the forgiveness that God provides and then comes the waiting Ah, the part we love, right? But look at the tome of the psalmist as he speaks on waiting on God. It's longing. It's hopeful. It's expectant. It's optimistic. He says, my soul waits for the Lord. Notice, this waiting on God is not waiting on another person. It's not waiting on a change of circumstances even. He's just waiting on the Lord. The Lord is a place of hope. And what starts as a desperate prayer becomes a praise, a declaration of praise, of good news. God's presence, God's power will be experienced by the trusting and faithful person who waits on the Lord. God is faithful on the mountaintops. God is faithful in the valleys and the deep depths. There's confidence in God's forgiveness here. So he cuts to his greatest need, the need for forgiveness. He cuts to God's greatest provision, forgiveness of sin. When I was doing the study for this. I really liked the way one of the commentators, his name is Boyce, put it. He says, you may not find forgiveness with other people. Your husband or your wife may not forgive you if you've wronged him or her. Your children may not forgive you. Your co-workers may not forgive you. You may not even be able to forgive yourself. There is one who will, and that one is God. Our God is a forgiving God. This this expression of waiting on God is clearly a confident expectation not wishful thinking of the forgiveness he's receiving from god and just the idea of waiting on the lord sometimes we think of that as a passive like i'm just going to sit on a rock quietly until god does something that's not what's happening here it's not passive it's active there's active trust there's active patience there's active hope there's active submission there's an active yielding to god's will and plans This is a very active posture of waiting on the Lord. And so it expects this positive result of that which we place a great hope in. And the expectation is based on the knowledge and trust of God in His character. And His character is being reflected through His Word. Look what he says. He says, I put my hope in your Word. It's, I rely on your Word. So think of this guy. It's probably a, a Jewish man. That since he was a little boy, he could see scrolls unrolled. And on those scrolls, God would say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And he looks over the history of his people as an Israelite and goes, well, what do you know? God did that, God did that, God did that, God did that. And if God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. On your word, I put my hope. And so he has confidence in God's word. Well, as we think about that in the context of forgiveness, Let's play that out with just a couple verses. Let's look at 1 John 1, 1.9. God shares with the Apostle John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, if, if we put our hope in God's word, when we see that, if we confess our sins, God's faithful. He's going to forgive us of those sins. He's going to cleanse us. He's going to purify us from unrighteousness. In the same context, let's look at a verse like Hebrews 8 12. God says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. So here's the thing when God looks at our sinfulness, when we come to Him in repentance, we come to Him in surrender, and we ask for forgiveness of our sins, like 1 John 1 9 just said, God has the ability to remember each and every one of our sins. That's pretty scary that the entire population of the world, for all humanity's history, God has the capacity to record every one of those sins. He has the ability to remember every single one of our sins. But what he chooses to do is forget them. Like, you should just be like, thank you, God. That he chooses to forget them. And here's where we need to put our hope in God's word, in this case, because some of you as you hear the echoes of things you've said, as you have memories of things you've done, you have sins that you've committed hours ago, days ago, weeks ago, months ago, years ago, decades ago, that you somehow still don't believe God's forgiven you. And then you still have to try to, you have to contribute somehow. Like I've got to put in some some good works to help God out. God's not capable of forgiving without my help. Who do we think we are? <laughs> what do we have to contribute that's even gonna add one ounce to God's power and God's work? And so what happens is, God's going, if you've come in repentance and you've asked for the forgiveness of your sins, I remember them no more. Pastor Rick said last week, he removes them as far as the east is from the west. Let me give you a tape measure with this homework. Go measure how far east is from west. Have fun with that one. You can't. It's immeasurable. It's immeasurable. And yet some of you are still walking around, beating yourself with their head, still feeling on the hook for the sin that you committed decades or years ago when God's forgotten it in Christ. That's hoping in God's word. That's hoping in God. See, God is loving. He's merciful. He's forgiving. He's faithful. And when we wait on him with hope, it's good for our soul. And when we wait on Him, we're waiting on Him and trusting in Him not just because of what He's told us in His Word, but because it's the One who told us that. It's not because of the promises of God as much as it's the One who made the promise that we can trust Him. It's God's character. Let, let, me, let me paint this picture. Some of you know this about my story. Uh, my mom and my birth father, uh, they got married right after high school, tried to make a go of it. It didn't last but a year, year and a half. And then she moved on, and you know, her, she did the single mom thing with me for a while, and then she got remarried. But what happened is, over the years, uh, I would have a handful of interactions with my birth father. And I longed to see him. I wanted to see him. And lots of times he would say, hey, this weekend, I'm going to come pick you up and we're going to hang out. And so he would make arrangements with my mom. I'm going to come pick you up. We're going to hang out. I remember many times where I would get up early, you know, anxious before my alarm went off. I'd get showered, get dressed, have my breakfast. I'm ready to roll and I'm sitting there and I'm waiting for him to show up. Waiting for him to show up waiting for him to show up and many times he never showed up and what I learned is I couldn't take him for his word so when he said hey I am going to come pick you up I'm kind of like yeah we'll see we'll see if you show up see that's the opposite of God we can trust God because he always shows up his character is faithful he's flawless but where we struggle and I know where some of you are and you're like wait a minute I've been praying that prayer for years I asked for this, and I got that. I asked for that, and I got this. I asked for this and that, and I got nothing. Right? So here's the thing. God isn't on our agenda. (laughs) He's always going to show up, but he's either going to show up differently than we thought, exactly how we thought, or maybe a lot later than we thought. And so we talk about that. The answers to prayer are yes, no, maybe, not this way, not that way. Sometimes we go, God, would you do A? He does B. Sometimes we go, God, I hope you do A or B. He goes, oh, yeah, watch this, C. God, I hope you do A, B, or C. Oh, yeah, how about this, Z. Or sometimes God goes, no, I'm not doing any of it because none of those are really going to be good for you. Your perspective is too earthly. Your desires are too temporal. I'm going to deprive you of what you want most because I need you to f- fully recognize who I am and what I have for you is even better than what you want. Oh, man. Waiting on the Lord. Did you notice this passage doesn't say it's easy? It just is. But we can wait with hope. And look at the picture he paints of the hope. He says, I hope in the Lord. I wait on the Lord like a watchman for the morning. And somebody's like, what on earth does that mean? So he's painting a picture of an ancient practice, right? A lot of you know about this. That in the walled cities that a lot of these people lived in, they would post watchmen. Up on the towers, up on the walls. They took the night shift. A lot of you know what it means to work the night shift, right? They took the night shift and all night, on alert, watching. What's that over there moving? Oh, okay, it's just an animal. Looking for danger, alert. See, two things were clear about the watchmen. One, they could not wait for the morning and for their shift to be over. Just on high alert all night. Like, what's that move? What's that sound? What is that, right? You never fall asleep as a watchman, you can't do that and so just on high alert so the, oh the morning oh I can rest so the, the desire for the rest that came with the morning the second thing about the watchman they always knew the morning was coming there was no doubt that the sun was going to rise no watchman ever took the post going well I hope the sun shows up tomorrow you know it's kind of like statistically going to be pretty good they knew the sun was coming this is, this is what he's saying it's like God I, I can't wait for the darkness to be over my shift to be over and for you to show up and I can have the newness that I, I, I'm longing for and I know you're going to come. And the same thing needs to happen for us. God, this anxiety, this fear, this torment that I'm feeling, God, it's it's like I'm on night shift, I'm always on watch, but Lord, you're going to show up in a way and like get me off duty and the newness is going to break through as I trust in you and you will show up. If not now, this side of heaven, at heaven. Man we can wait on the Lord this is a declaration and then the declaration turns into an invitation look at verses 7 and 8 he's talking about himself and then he turns a corner look at verse 7 oh Israel now he's talking to his, his people he's talking to the congregation he goes oh Israel hope in the Lord for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities what was a private prayer now becomes a public declaration and invitation to others. What was personal now becomes communal. And we go back to the image of that road, right? Don't, don't when you think about the, the worshipers going up the road to Jerusalem, don't think about the lone traveler up there like, with his own like, camelback and just like, you know, walking up the hill. There was a swath of people, a sea of people walking up the the hill together, preparing to worship together. And so as he's doing business with God, it's also like, hey, everybody, all of Israel, we can hope in the Lord. We trust in the Lord together. And he's inviting everyone else to celebrate the faithfulness of God with him. Do you see what a beautiful journey this is? From total, you know, um, desperation to confession, to invitation, uh, declaration to invitation. And you know what's so beautiful about this? It's the gospel. The gospel's in here, right there in Psalm 130. When we come to a place of deep places and go, I'm broken, I'm lost, I'm sinful, I'm a mess, I can't fix myself. We confess that to God. When we finally hit that place, we're ready to repent and just turn to God. We confess to God and we, we fall upon His mercy. And then we declare our belief in Jesus we declare a belief in, in who he is and what he's done, and then we are invited into God's family to share in God's faithfulness together, and then we invite other people to join in with us. It's the gospel woven through here. And as he says, "Oh Israel, all my people, all my nation, come. You can hope in the Lord. Why? Because with God there's steadfast love and plentiful redemption. is that good news? God never runs out of redemption. But at some point, you're never going to like approach God in prayer like, "God, I really need you." He's like, "I just ran out of redemption. You were this close. (laughs) You were just one more person in line." And we know that redemption came with a price. See, they would ascend a hill looking for a temple building, but see, for us, the cross was put on a hill, and we look to that cross. And on that cross, Jesus Christ did not just die for our sins. So true. But he also died in our place. And God's redemption is available to anyone who's willing to repent and call upon the name of Christ, admit they're a sinner, receive the free gift of forgiveness, free gift of eternal life, and then walk with the rest of the worshipers. That's God's plan for us. It's an invitation and it changes your life. It just changes your life. Let me give you another example of this. A lot of you know that we have adopted an unreached people group in Indonesia. There's an island there that we've adopted and have been pouring into and praying for for years. Uh, Many of us have have been financially giving uh, to the Bible translation, that those people would have a Bible in their own heart language. And so through our Unleash campaign, we're still doing the Bible translation project. It's a very long process. It takes a long time to to produce an accurate translation of God's Word. We're still in the translation process, so they're completing books at a time. Things are happening. And a lot of us that are aware of this translation of the Bible can't wait for the Bible to be done so God can do His thing. Don't you think God's doing His thing in the midst of the translation process? So let me give you an example. Uh, Up in the northern part of the island, there was a woman there. She actually was in a minority. The, The dominant religion of the island is Muslim, but she actually was Buddhist. And she was in a Buddhist village. She was actually a teacher in the Buddhist temple. What happened is she heard the gospel for the first time on the island. And we think our teams might have been one of the groups that were up there to share the gospel, by the way. And so she heard the gospel. She heard the good news of Jesus. And it just got her thinking. And so she started asking lots of questions and hearing more and more about the gospel. And then it came to a time where a couple of years ago she gave her faith to Christ. She surrendered her life to Christ. She got baptized. She got kicked out of her village we're becoming a follower of Christ, okay? Think about that next time, you know, our life is hard as a Christian, right? Oh, they made a mean post about me on social media, whatever. This person gets kicked out of their village, but you know what? They're so hungry. She was so hungry for God's word, she just kept reading and devouring God's word and got connected with the translation team. Now she is on the translation team translating the scriptures for others. Isn't that awesome? She was a place of desperation she heard about her sin she heard about Christ There was a place of confession she came to Christ, she declared it through her public act of baptism to people who literally would want to take her life for doing it kicked her out of her village and now she's been invited into God's family she's with other believers and now she's getting to invite others to put their hope in the very word of God that changed her life our lives aren't that different it might look a little different but it's not that different We can hope in the Lord. We can wait on the Lord. God is faithful. And he's merciful and he's loving and he's forgiving. And waiting on him with hope is good for our souls. What do we do with this? Well, if you are not a follower of Christ today, the most obvious application for you is to get right with God through Christ, through believing in his death on the cross for your sins, through believing for resurrection, And so you can even use the language of this psalm to just pray and ask God to change your life. God, I come to you in the depths of my heart, right? I'm coming to you. I cry out to you for your mercy, for forgiveness is found with you through Christ. We get to add what we know now about how God provided redemption through Christ. And you say, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose from the grave. And you give your life to Christ and then you just commit your life to following him and if you'd like to do that today just tell God that and then let us know so we can help you walk and grow in your relationship or if you're a little confused and need some more clarity we'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Christ so the the easiest next step for you is just to get your phone out sometime like right now in the next few minutes while we're singing and text the word connect especially those of you watching online this is easy text the word connect to our response number and we'll connect with you to help you know how to grow in your faith in Christ maybe something else came out of this time and you just, you just need to talk to a pastor or you just need some help, you also can text that word connect to get some next steps to help. But as a believer, what do we do with what we just read? I think it's a good reminder of the power of the gospel, but also when we mess up, because we will, and we do, when we mess up, we walk in the forgiveness of Christ, like this guy was walking. And we apply that in those moments of failure. So here's what typically happens, Hopefully, When we sin, when we mess up, we say, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me for messing up. Please forgive me for letting you down again. But I don't know how many of you turn a corner and actually do this. Say, God, thank you for the forgiveness I have in Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness you've already given me. I'm applying it to the situation. Maybe that will be new for you. That when we mess up, you don't just say, God, forgive me, but it's, God, thank you for the forgiveness you've given me in Christ. And let that motivate you to walk out the new life in Christ. Well, what I love about this invitation piece is what was personal became communal. And uh, one of the ways that we share our common faith in Christ and celebration of who he is and what he did is the Lord's Supper. All of you should have received the elements when you came in for Lord's Supper. Here's what we're going to do. In a minute, I'm going to invite you just to to sing, reflect, listen to a song. Afterwards, I'm going to come up and lead us in Lord's Supper. Now, the song that we're about to sing is taken from Psalm 130. If you know it, feel free to sing it. But during the song, I encourage you, reflect on the lyrics pray, talk to God, have your own time of confession, your own time of you know, God I need to wait on you in this area more, God help me to do this, God forgive me for, God thank you for, just spend some time in prayer, reflection, preparation for the Lord's Supper. And then after that I'll come up and lead us. Now if you're not a follower of Christ uh, this it would not be authentic for you to take the Lord's Supper because you're not a believer in Christ yet. Um, so, so please, we're, we're like Taking, the, taking you off the hook. N- feel no pressure. Like, oh, they gave me this thing. What should I do? Just put it down. Let, it, let this be an authentic moment for you and for the believers of Christ. And so we're going to prepare our hearts. We're going to sing the song. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So I want to invite you to stand as we enter this time right now.